I like to tell people that my life now, I don't have to work in a kitchen anymore. I'm, I, I say I'm, I'm half Anthony Bourdain and half Indiana Jones. Like there, there is a hunt and, and really a methodology for hunting plants and mushrooms. Welcome to the Drew Perlman Show. Think of this podcast as the antidote to the fear, the noise, and the talking heads in the news. The show features an entertaining blend of ancient wisdom, empowering ideas, and cutting-edge, healthy living science to optimize your health and your life. So let's dive in and get going here. Alan Burgo is a chef in Minnesota who is perhaps best known as a leading authority on the culinary uses of mushrooms and plants via his very popular website and blog, Forager Chef, which is the largest resource on wild mushroom cookery on the entire web. His first book in three-part series an exploration of wild plants, herbs, garden vegetables, nuts, and starches is titled The Forager Chef's Book of Flora, and it was just released literally in late June 2021 by Chelsea Green Publishing. Alan, welcome to the show. Hey, thanks for having me on. Yeah, it's great to be with you. Um, you know, Alan, I'm very interested in the whole foraging, well, the, the practice of foraging, but you you write in your book that foraging, in your mind, isn't just an act, it's a mindset and a healthy way of life. And, I, and I'd love for you to just talk about why is foraging, as you see it, a mindset, and, and also why is it such a big part of your life? Yeah, well, it, it is definitely a mindset. I mean, you know, I've been trying to work a lot with my really tap into my instincts, especially this year. And every single person on this planet is descended from a forager. So, you know, like hunting and gathering food is something that literally connects every single person in the world. And that mentality, that kind of the, the mechanisms, the reward system, like the excitement that I tell people I feel when I'm outside gathering something or I, I randomly come across a big flush of mushrooms that are really precious or rare or something like that, or maybe just good to eat. I mean, that is all like programmed into us. And it is, it does not take that much effort to kind of tap into that and adopt the mentality uh, yourself because it's already in all of us. You know, it is built into our DNA. Uh, it's a big part of my life because I just love doing it. It's a, it's exciting. Uh, it's, it's a rush. It's like going out on a scavenger hunt every day. And then at the end I get to eat and <laughs> I get to find prizes that I get to eat is, is kind of a good way to describe it or a big Easter egg hunt, Easter egg hunt, uh, for adults, if that makes any sense. Yeah. Oh, that's, that's so cool. It's such a cool way of putting it. And did I hear Alan that you were, you were trained in Italy and I, I was wondering, is that some of what influenced you as far as cooking with herbs and greens and mushrooms? Did, did some of this come about from your training? Uh, absolutely it did. I didn't train in Italy. I worked with a number of different chefs from Italy, uh, the former personal chef, the princess Monaco, a chef from Milan, a chef who owned his own restaurant in Rome for 10 years. So I grew up cooking, kind of cut my teeth in Italian restaurants. Um, and we did not use any wild food at all 
I think, in those, except for maybe the occasional like imported porcini or something. It was really when I started working in local restaurants that used local ingredients that were of a really high caliber. Uh, that was when I got introduced to ingredients that were kind of right around in my area. I worked at one place where the menu changed every single day. I wrote the menu and we only used products from within 200 miles of Minnesota. And some of the things that would come in, some of the most expensive things were things like nettles and mushrooms. Uh, and nettles, for example, are something that people will pull out of their garden as a weed. But I got introduced to them purely as a luxury good. And then all, the kind of the other byproduct of being in the culinary industry and working with those products is I kind of got spoon fed what the most valuable things were that were in my area. And I didn't have to go out and find them myself. So I knew what I was looking for kind of before I even started. Mm, that's great. And, and this developed, uh, I mean, you have a really popular blog website. Just talk about how that, that came about. Well, I was, I was working as a chef at the restaurant I was talking about. That was Heartland with Chef Lenny Russo. And I made a big sacrifice to work at this place. It was one of the best restaurants in the area. I was like, I would do anything to work at this place with this chef. And I was living in a basement. I had to give up an apartment and take a pay cut and move into my friend's basement to take the job. And I eventually, well, let's see, I was living with a guy, the guy whose basement I was living in was an SEO analyst. And I would make him breakfast once in a while before I went out. I would go out into the woods before I went to work to pick things for the menu that I would put on the menu that day. And sometimes I'd have stuff left over. I'd be cooking for him all the time. And he said, Alan, this stuff is so cool. You, we need to start you a website. And I was like, okay. And I thought we will start a website and then it'll be done. Like I had no idea. I had absolutely no idea what I was doing. And, you know, like nine years later, after writing articles every single weekend for the past consecutive nine years, I understand that it's something that really will never end. Uh, but it was a, it started out kind of as a journal and a place for me to, you know, just log some ideas and some of my favorite recipes. And, and now it, uh, I, I kind of got surprised when I, when people would comment, I was like, Oh, the people are like reading what I'm writing here. Oh, okay. <laughs> and then it started, I'd get comments from like around the world from Alaska to China to Australia. Like in our winter, uh, people are picking mushrooms in Australia. So th mm. there's a lot of weird kind of overlap. And I started to learn more things from interacting with the visitors on my site. And it was like I kind of kicked over a piece of ice and saw that it was just attached to a glacier underneath me. And then I, you know, I just kept learning more and more and more. Mm. And is this what led to the new book? These these posts that you that you've been doing for, like you said, for many years. Yeah, well, the book is. The book is different. There's a lot of stuff in there that is not on the site because I just I didn't want it to just be like uh, a bunch of stuff that I had already written. Some some of it is because there's a, there's some old favorites that needed to be in there. But the book is basically it is one part of like my culinary world. And I would say my culinary world has three parts. So the book, there, there's three parts to kind of my culinary world. And 
that is plants and mushrooms and meat. And originally I was going to write a book covering kind of all those topics. And when I started looking at word counts and things like that, I quickly learned that if I had tried to put everything in one book, I wasn't going to be able to cover things as in-depth as I would really like. So I decided to split it up into three parts. So it's flora, fungi, and fauna. And I pronounced fungi kind of like the Italian pronunciation is kind of a nod to uh, my, my working with guys from Italy. A lot of people in the mushroom community would say it's fungi or something similar. Yeah, I don't really okay. care. Latin's understandardized. Uh, <laughs> so flora, flora is my first book. And that's it's all kind of it's essentially a plant based book uh, kind of by design. And it's leafy greens, herbs, nuts and starches, but also kind of how my how hunting for wild plants changed how I think of garden vegetables, too, because that's kind of a, a big underlying theme of it. And it's interesting how you refer to it as hunting um, plants and hunting mushrooms. I mean, is that how you look at it? Like a like a hunting for these type of things? Absolutely. I mean, I. I like to tell people that my life now, I don't have to work in a kitchen anymore. I'm, I, I say I'm, I'm half Anthony Bourdain and half Indiana Jones. Like there, <laughs> there is a hunt and, and really a methodology for you know, hunting plants and mushrooms. I mean, for mu mushrooms, for example, they may not always be there. You know, if you have a forest next to a field of corn in a lot of places around the United States, you're probably going to have a good population of white-tailed deer. Uh, Boletus powderosius, by comparison, which is a mushroom kind of related to porcini, when you dry it, it smells like beef bullion. Those, I found so many hundreds of them in one fruiting in giant circles around these like 150, 200-year-old bur oak trees that I could have never carried them out like I don't I could have never even carried them out of the woods. There were so many mm. every single year. I've gone back to the same place to see if they're there. And for the past seven years, I have not found a single one. Wow. So, Alan, you know, I'm just curious. I'm trying to think back to like the first time that you went out hunting for mushrooms. Like, is it something that you just for someone who's listening, who's like, this sounds like a great adventure. It sounds really interesting. And I love mushrooms and all this. Um you take us through the process. Like, how did you, did you just get started and, and, and you just develop these skills of identifying mushroom and hunting mushroom over time? Is it something that kind of builds up over time? It's absolutely some, it is a very slow process. Uh, and it's an activity that, I mean, in Europe, it is basically a sport. Uh, but it took, it took a long time. I was lucky, like I said, because I kind of got spoon fed some things while I was in the culinary industry. And from there, I, one day I was, I was cleaning a chicken of the woods mushroom in the kitchen. And then the next day I was out playing disc golf and I saw the same mushroom growing and that I, I had already cut it with a knife, cooked it, tasted it, held it, felt it, smelled it. I, I knew everything about it. I knew this was, this is this mushroom I was cleaning yesterday and a light kind of went off and I understood this is not some crazy, like archaic, unattainable thing. This is more being in the right place at the right time. Mm. And of course there are, you know, obviously mushrooms you would not want to eat. There's a lot of different foods you would not want to eat either. Um, 
it it does take some some learning, but there are very safe species that you can start out with. And I started reading field guides and kind of all the literature that I could find on the subject. And I just started out small. I started out with a few species. There's also there's really good resources out there for people who are interested in it, like Facebook. Facebook is fantastic for a few things. I have mixed feelings about it in general, but as far as like groups and community, it really does, it does serve a purpose, at least for me, like all these little niche groups that are on Facebook. I have a friend who is an administrator in over 300 mushroom groups around the world Hmm. on Facebook. Wow. 300 groups on hunting mushrooms, (laughs) only hunting mushrooms. I mean, talk about a niche. So those those groups, you can join them. They don't cost anything. They'll be local to your area, and you will see things people are picking next door to you. And you'll be able to see just by just by, you know, sitting in the corner and watching with some popcorn, you can see what's coming up in your area, ask people what they're doing with it. Uh, you know, probably get a hold of people who could take you in take you on in-person forays, because that's the best way to learn is like directly with with an expert in the field showing you something. Uh, but there's a lot of resources out there and it's, it's not some crazy unattainable thing. It's more just a really exciting hobby that takes, takes some learning. It's a learned skill like anything else. Mm. Have you ever taken a group out on a hunt? Oh, absolutely. I, I do it semi-regularly. I don't have as much time to do it as I would like, but I, I do still occasionally. That's awesome. You know, one of the things you wrote about in your book, I just want to, I just want to throw this out there. You said, being outside nearly every day, seeing, watching, tasting, learning, and constantly looking out for the next new thing I could eat fundamentally changed not only how I think about wild plants, but also how I see what we commonly conceive of as vegetables too. And I thought this was really interesting when I was reading your book about how like in Italy, for instance, they referred to as these plants, spontaneous plants, um, and then in Japan, it might be a mountain vegetable, but but here in the West, we would call it a dangerous weed that needs to that needs chemicals needs to be you know needs to be removed. It does seem like a big part of this is how we see things, Alan. Is that would you would you go along with that idea? Oh, absolutely. I mean, like I said, people yank nettles and lambs quarters out of their garden all the time, and I used to buy them for twelve dollars a pound when I was running my restaurants. It's, it, it is all in our perception. Uh, and just in, in America, we really don't have, we don't have a tradition of eating wild plants. A lot of our ancestors from different countries did, and we've kind of been losing that. So we don't have any of those terms. Like there's terms all around the world in Greek, in Greece, they have, you know, wild edible plants they'll eat. They call them horta. Uh, in in Latin America, they're called quelites, and each of these are like catch-all terms that describe maybe a bunch of different plants, not just one. Like it's a whole bunch of them. Then in Italy, you have uh, erbe salvatiche or piante spontanee. I love piante spontanee, spontaneous plants. And then mm. in Japan, you have sansai. Like there are wild food traditions around the world. We just really we don't have much of much of that sort of tradition in the United States, though. Mm. You know, it's interesting 
Alan, I have a raised bed outside. And, you know, the other day I was picking things, but I was also picking the wild dandelions, the purslane. Um, I mean, I'm a novice, but um, what, what do you what do you think we're missing by not eating some of these spontaneous plants? Well, I think we're missing stuff that tastes good that you can get for free. And just going to your garden is that's just an, that's an easy way to start out appreciating some of these things. Like you said, purslane. Purslane is really widespread. And, you know, just about any garden in the United States could probably have some purslane. You know, many, many places can have purslane. It's a really common plant. And I pulled about 20 pounds of it out of the garden the other day, and I put it up and froze it so I can serve it at an event this year. You know, the garden is disturbed, disturbed ground like that is kind of a way that you can bring some of the wild to you. Like you don't have to be out in the woods with the bugs and everything like that. Like it can just be taking a second look at some of the plants in your backyard. And, you know, maybe, oh, if you see, I like this lamb's quarter and it, they taste really good. Well, then you can take the seed. You can let one of the plants go to seed, take the seeds and, you know, sprinkle those over a place where maybe there are some weeds that you don't want to eat and encourage it to, to grow. And you can also mow the plants down and it will keep giving you new growth because plants just all they want to do is survive and kind of reproduce and go to seed, you know. Mm. Oh, that's fascinating. Um, that's that's really interesting about the lamb's corridor. So you, you can just do that. You can just you could just sort of cultivate that. Or you could grow that in um, maybe in an area of other of other of other, I guess, unwanted things that might be growing. Yeah, you can if you harvest its seeds, allow it to kind of grow to fruition and then sprinkle the seeds in a place where there are other plants where you don't want them, where you would like to have some lamb's quarters. If you encourage them to grow, they can probably outcompete the other weeds and then you can just have weeds that taste good. Oh, that's, oh, that is, that's a really great idea. That's oh, interesting. Alan, Tell us a little bit about, so, so nature obviously is a huge part of your life. Why is spending time in nature so important to you? Well, you know, it kind of makes me feel like I'm connecting back with like an ancient part of myself. It's relaxing. It's peaceful. Over 2020, my life didn't really change too much. Uh, I could be outside and kind of do what I do. And I didn't I didn't have to worry about too many things. Uh, it's it's rejuvenating. But like I said before, it's also just really fun. And it, it's I would be lying if I said that it is not addictive. Mm. And Alan, just along with the, along those lines, what are some of the daily practices and rituals, you know, aside from foraging that that help to keep you grounded and more peaceful? Oh, I mean, really really kind of simple things. Uh, there is a lot of work involved in, in some things like harvesting nuts can be labor intensive. Uh, one thing that I was just doing this morning that I might do to start the day, uh, my girlfriend who, uh, she has a book called the healthy deviant and she has these morning rituals. She does. One of mine is just, I might crack some nuts for breakfast. Um, I might have them with some wild rice or a little bit of yogurt or on some oatmeal or something. But I can sit and I have a big field stone in the backyard. I'll take the nuts and just sit and crack the nuts by myself silently. 
listen to the birds, have a cup of coffee, and it's a good way to start the day. I also do a lot of reading. So, you know, re- reading relaxes me and is a good way for me to kind of quiet my mind. I'm kind of always thinking about something mm. and my inner monologue is always going a mile a minute. But if I'm reading, uh, mostly, you know, I'm reading ethnobotanical texts or old cookbooks or, you know, doing research on different things, historical plant traditions. It's a good way to quiet my mind and a good way to kind of force myself to to focus and stop thinking about work for, you know, at least a few minutes. Mm, that's that's great, Alan. Um, in your mind, this is this is kind of a, a, a I guess you could call it a profound question in some ways. But Alan, in your mind, what does it mean to be a human? Well, I think being part of being a human is understanding where you live, and you know maybe understanding some things about the your, your landscape. Uh, because that's it. Everyone wants to kind of celebrate where they live, you know, and that's a really, to me, it's a integral part of just living anywhere is appreciating where you are, you know, help trying to at least maybe understand a little bit of, of where, of, about where you are, uh, your landscape and the seasons and what, what makes where you live special compared to another place. You know, mm-hmm. and for me, a lot of the a lot of the things that come to mind are all the foods, you know, everyone has to eat every single day. Mm-hmm. You know, and I heard you say, Alan, once before that, you know, working with food and working with wild foods that are just picked in the moment, um, it, it struck me as being like almost like a meditation. Absolutely. I mean, it's definitely a meditative process like time goes by time starts to kind of blur um like i think it's called the flow state that uh someone described and you kind of lose track of time i can forget about anything else except you know maybe i'm picking berries or maybe i'm looking for the perfect tendrils of uh, the wild grapevines to add to a salad like i'm going to do this week for like 80 people uh, it's definitely a meditative process. And the cool part is that it can be really whatever you want. You know, I know all kinds of people that use it as a, as kind of an escape or a, a way to relax and also just a, as a form of recreation. Mm. All right. My final question is if, if you could travel back in time around 30 years or so, what words of wisdom would your current self share with your younger self? Well, <laughs> I think I think I would say don't ever sacrifice your passion for anything. And and I didn't, which is it, it took a long time, but I would just kind of reinforce that in myself, I think. Hmm. And and so and you were telling me off air before you just bought a farm which sounded incredibly cool for your experiments? Maybe just the listeners may be a little curious about this. Yeah, well, I I live on a farm with my girlfriend. It's an old family farm, about 400 acres in Menominee, uh, right around Menominee, Wisconsin. But I need need a whole separate workspace just to cook with the things that I harvest. And uh, I'll have a giant, uh, like, wild pantry. 
I mean, imagine like shelves filled with all manner of dried fruit, herbs, mushrooms, plants, spices, seeds, ferments, uh, all kinds of things uh, all have, you know, basically it's going to be a mad scientist lab and a a great workspace because for the past uh, eight or nine years, I've been either, you know, doing my work out of someone's basement and in their kitchen in a house or in my apartment or like in the wee hours in the morning before my employees came into work in, in one of my kitchens. So it's going to be great just to have a dedicated space to, to do whatever I want. Mm, that's beautiful. Alan, where's the best place for listeners to learn about you, your work and the new book? Well, uh, most most of my most of my followers will know me from my website, foragerchef.com. I'm also really active on Instagram, and I am, keep on top of my DMs there pretty good. Uh, so that's at foragerchef. And the book, there's a whole list of different places people can order the book. I mean, in Europe, non-Amazon, small bookstores, Barnes & Noble, there's, you know, there's all kinds of options there, and that's right on my site. It's right on the homepage, so it's hard to miss. Thank you for listening to The Drew Perlman Show. I hope you enjoyed today's episode. In the words of Mark Twain, 20 years from now, you will be more disappointed by the things you didn't do than the things you did do. So throw off the bow lines, sail away from the safe harbor, and catch the trade winds in your sails. Explore, dream, discover, and stay well, everyone.